John chapter 6, verses 52 to 71. It reads, Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will remain because of me, will live, sorry, because of me. This is the bread that has come down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Uh, that, the, uh, that the disciples were grumbling about this. Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, and the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which one of them did not believe, and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to live too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the, you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of uh, Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. I used to uh, teach um, to ministry or share the gospel with uh, street kids in my, at my old church in Auckland Park a long time ago, around 2007. And one of the hardest things there about teaching the gospel to the homeless was that it was accompanied by a meal. We would have, uh, we would have this meal 
And then the logic was that after this meal, that they would sit and listen uh, to the Word of God, so do some sort of a Bible study together, and then we would do some sort of skills training for some of them. Teach them how, how, how computers work, uh, give them basic literacy skills, and so on. But what we found that was that uh, right at the beginning, after we've given them the meal, a lot of them would leave. A lot would not stay for the Bible study. And we thought to ourselves, then what do we do then? To try and get these people to stay, not only for the meal, but also for the word of God and for the skills training afterwards. Devised a plan whereby we decided to do things the other way around. Well, we said, okay, we're going to start with the Bible study, do the skills training, and then to end off, everyone is going to have a meal together. First few weeks it worked. But later, the people started to come a little bit later. Did not come for the skills training or the Bible study. They would come only for the meal. We did not know what to do, so we decided, uh, so it was decided, not by me, that we are now going to lock the gate when we start the Bible study, right at the beginning. We told everyone that the skills training is going to be at 1 o'clock. Uh, the, I mean, the Bible study is going to be at 1 o'clock. And you need to be inside the church building by 1 o'clock. And the meal would come later on, around 3. So we closed the gate. Many of them came late. And many of them, obviously, would be shouting at the gate saying, You are not Christians. Let us in. We want the food. Those who have not come for their skills training. We were hoping that by this locking of the gate, by these rules that we had created, that they would desire to hear from God, that they would be interested not only in the meal that we are providing, but would be interested in the whole meal, as it were. In our minds, we had, we had put together the best program that there was. Food for the spirit, food for the mind, in equipping them with their skills, and food for the body in the meals that they're going to have. But human beings know what they want. They stay for what they want. And they will only uh, get what they want. And they want no more from you. We've seen something similar in our passage with the Israelites. They have heard Jesus that he had been performing miracles, he's been going around preaching. And they are drawn to him because of some of the miracles that he has, he has performed in, uh, in the same region, but also in, uh, in Jerusalem. When he made a person who could not walk to walk, they started to follow him, hoping to catch a glimpse of some of the miracles. And then he performed a massive miracle, as we saw three weeks ago, where he fed more than 5,000 people from, from small pieces of bread and fish. And after this, he sort of stepped away from them. He went away. They did not, they did not see him. After this, they started to follow Jesus. He crosses a river, 
and they follow him to the other side. What do they want? They want the miracles. They want the, um, the, the, they want the wonder. They want to see what they saw before. They want to experience it for themselves. I'm sure many of those that were following Christ were following him because perhaps they had their own ailments that they wanted dealt with. Perhaps they thought that by being near Jesus, they could uh, derive, they could get some of the benefits of being near someone who is holy. They wanted Jesus, but they did not want everything that Jesus had to offer. What you saw last week, that he started to speak to them, uh, started to tell them that you have come down here because you ate of the bread and you, and you were satisfied. But I'm telling you now that I am the living bread, Jesus told them in verse 51 of chapter 6. He says, I am that living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. It says, he's speaking to people who are probably come down because they want perhaps more of what Jesus has done before. They want more miracles. They want, they want more wonders. And Jesus turns to him in verse 51 and says, you come for bread, I'm the bread. You've come for life, I am the one who gives life. If you eat of this bread, you will live forever. In other words, this is not just some physical bread. This is unlike the bread that he had given them two days before or a day before. But this is a different type of bread. And that bread was himself. At the end of verse 51, this bread is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. And the Jews, um, hearing this, started to say, oh, what is this guy talking about? Verse 52. They began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? You can see from there, isn't it? The day before, they were given actual bread. They had seen Jesus perform actual miracles. And now he's saying he's the bread, that his flesh is, uh, is what gives life, eternal life. So they turn to themselves and they say, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? That's not what they've come for. They've come for the bread. They've come for the miracles. They've come for the wonders. But Jesus turns to them again in verse 53 and repeats what he had said in the previous section about bread. And he says, Listen, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life. Similar to what he had said before, that unless you eat of this bread, in verse 51, you will have no life. It says, now, unless you eat of this flesh, you will have no life. Whoever eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood has 
eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. The flesh and blood here is a, is a Hebrew idiom for the whole person. He has moved away now from the analogy of the, uh, of the bread, which was sort of meant to remind them of God's sustenance and providing for them, and providing for their forefathers in the desert. He's now moved on to saying, listen, you see what was happening for the Israelites in the desert? Was looking towards me. I have now come. I'm the one who's going to give you sustenance. I'm the one who's going to give you life. Not only am I going uh, to give you uh, something to eat, but I'm actually going to give you life eternal. But that is not what these people have come for. When Jesus, when they, when Jesus offers himself, they said, no, no, no. You want something else. And we can see in verse 60 that they understand what Jesus is saying here. They are not, um, they're not surprised that Jesus is saying uh, he's going to give them their flesh. They're not saying, how can this man make us eat human flesh? No, it's not about that. They understand that Jesus is meaning himself. As he says, come and eat my flesh and drink my blood. Look down at verse 60 with me. Verse 60 says, on hearing this, many of his disciples, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Notice what they do not say. They do not say that this is a hard teaching. Who can understand it? Saying, who can accept this? Who can want to align themselves with this type of teaching? This is not hard because it is uh, uncomprehendable. No. It's hard because it is hard to accept. When Jesus stands in front of them and he says, you need to accept me for eternal life, that for them is hard to accept. Jesus, when Jesus stands in front of them and he says, believe in me. I want to live in you. Just as perhaps when you eat food and, it, and the food lives in you. They're saying, no, no, no. We can accept this. Jesus had told them in verse 56 that whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is about faith in him. This is about um, not only following Jesus for his miracles, but following Jesus because of who he is. The Holy One of God who has been sent into the world to die that others may live. This is a way that Jesus uses to sort of sift between those who are lukewarm, sort of following him because they wanted to derive some benefits from being near him and those who are genuinely interested in eternal life. 
This is a way to sift between those who are going to follow Jesus because they want to have their lives better now, whether it's through a meal or through a miracle. Or they want their lives to be better, eternally. That by having their faith in him, that they would have life, not only life now, but life eternal. Is a way to sift between those who have temporary needs and those who have eternal needs. Those who see the importance of, uh, of life eternal and those who just want what is good now. So therefore, uh, Jesus, uh, in Jesus saying this to them, he is sifting, he is deciding, he is making them decide. And how do they respond to Jesus? They say, no, no, no. Who can accept this? And Jesus says to them in verse 61, he's being aware that they were grumbling about this, that they were offended by this, that being aware that these, the, the words that they, uh, that they were hearing I meant to give life, but these people are offended by them. He turns to them in verse 63. He says, the spirit gives life. The flesh comes for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. See, that gets to the crux of the matter, doesn't it? It's about belief. It's not about understanding. I want you to get that. It is about belief. But belief in him, whether he gives life or not. Whether he is uh, the promised one of God or not. Whether he is the um, Jesus, the son of Joseph, whom they knew. Or he is the holy one of God or not. Whether he is the one who gives eternal life or he's just a miracle worker. They have a choice before them. But what do we see in the Jews? In verse 66, we see that from this time, many of his disciples turned, turned and no longer followed him. Many of them heard this and said, we cannot accept it. And therefore, we cannot accept the person from whom these words come from. We cannot accept that this Jesus is performing these miracles. He's performing, the, he's making the, uh, the person who could not walk, walk. He's turning water into wine. He's turning uh, uh, five loaves of bread uh, to be able to feed thousands of people so that we may believe in him that he is the Messiah, he is a promised one of God. They could not accept that. So verse 66, many of them turned away and no longer followed him. Many of them have seen that the miracles that we had had been performed 
as they followed Jesus, had an intention, and that intention that they were not they were not willing to accept that. Something similar happened with our ministry at uh, at Melvin Union Church with the homeless. Yes, that as many saw that the intention behind the food was not only to um, to just feed them so that they could go, but as to actually help them. That the literacy program was to see among uh, uh, to see among them who are serious wanted to get their lives better. That we were going to help them to get out of the street and take them to rehab. As many of them saw that this was not just about the food. This was not just about the sandwiches and the clean clothes. And the ability to take a shower with warm water. But this was about actually helping them. And getting them out of the street. Many of them turned away. Many of them said, no, we don't want to come to this anymore. Many of them decided that it's not worth it. A sandwich is not worth it. I want to go back to where I was. Many of these disciples saw as well that the miracles, the food was not worth it. They were unwilling to have their lives changed by Christ, to, uh, to, to, to put their faith completely in him. But others did believe. We see a contrast in verse 66 and verse 67. In verse 66, many turned away from Jesus. In verse 67, Jesus asked the those that stayed behind, the twelve, he asked them, you don't want to live too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And someone Peter, answering on behalf perhaps of all of them, she says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words to eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Notice what Peter says to Jesus. He does not say, to whom shall we go? You are, you are our means to be fed, basically. You are the one who performs miracles so that we can have a meal. No, he doesn't say that. He says, you have the words to eternal life. So, where are we going to go? If we, look for, if we are looking for eternal life, we stick with you. And he again says in verse 69, we believe and you know that you are the Holy One of God. You are the one that we have been waiting for. You are the one who has been sent of God to rescue us from sin, to give us a way to live eternally. Ben knew the twelve at least, that their biggest need was this life. More important than the miracles, more important than the food, more important than walking. Walking, yes, is important. Food, yes, is important. 
but it points to something much more important. It points to a bigger sustenance, and that is Christ himself, who through his words, he's able to give life who through his sacrifice at the cross, he is able to redeem people from the penalty of death. These guys get it. It's not about the food. It's not about miracles. It's about the Messiah. It's about their sins. It's about their forgiveness. And therefore, they they, they say, we are going to cling on to you because that's where life is. We are going to rely on you. Because that's because you gave us what we need the most. The struggle um, during the Christmas season is to see what we need the most. As we speak about the Emmanuel who has come into the world, as we celebrate the baby. And the miracle, uh, the joy of Christmas. My hope is that you would not only see that, but you would see that that baby is the one who comes to give life, to give eternal life. As we eat and celebrate joyously and sing together, My prayer is that you will look beyond the food, you will look beyond the celebratory singing, that you would look to a time where we will sit and dine with him in the new heavens and new earth. That you would think about the food that is offered, that gives life eternal. It doesn't just fill our stomachs for a moment. The others had a short-sighted view of Christ. They only cared about what he could provide for them now. By the 12 disciples we see in this passage, had an appropriate view of him. That only in him is eternal life. Only in him is salvation. That he is the Holy One of God. He is the promised one. And therefore, they're going to cling on to him. My prayer is that during the Christmas season, especially at a time where uh, there are lots of temptations, as people who, uh, who, who live out their lives without a care for God, as you go back to be with your families, with people who, um, I don't know about you, but my family, who just drink excessively, who overindulge in alcohol, and live for the moment. And then later on, in January, around the 10th, the 5th, you'll be calling borrowing money because they've lived for the moment. My prayer is that you 
guided by the Spirit, you would not be that person who lives for the moment. But you would value the eternal life that is found in Christ. Let us pray together and ask God for help. Heavenly Father, as we enter this Christmas season, may we be reminded that we are the ones who are in you, Lord. We will not act as the world acts. We will not love as the world loves. We will not enjoy as the world enjoys. But may we act as those who are in you, Lord. Help us to, uh, to live in light of the fact that we are in you and you have the words of eternal life. May we care about our lives eternal, not just our lives at the moment. Help us to value what is truly valuable, to cling to what is truly precious, and that is our faith in you, Lord. We pray and ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.